Welcome to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges with best-selling author, speaker, and motivational coach, April Joy Ford. April has faced adversity in her life, such as childhood sexual abuse and becoming a widow and a single parent at 32. Through all of her challenges, she's gone from tragedy to triumph. She'll help you to do the same. Get empowered by taking a holistic approach. Now, here is your host, April Joy Ford. Welcome. We're back for another week here on You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life Challenges. I'm April Joy Ford, and hello to all of the fans and listeners listening globally outside of the United States. Let's see who are the top regions and countries. I think Italy has been in the lead lately. We've got Italy, United Kingdom, Cambodia. I think they've moved up. Uh, China's still on the top tier, as well as Spain, Australia, France, Japan, Russia, Mexico, and just to name a few. Hello to all of our fans and listeners out there. You guys know that each listener is a life and each life does matter. And I know that you guys are all seeking answers and solutions to your situations and setbacks. And I'm glad you've tuned in again for another episode on insights on tools and truth to get empowered. Know that you're not alone and that there is hope. And I'm here to say that there's golden blessings to be discovered even when life throws you a curveball and you can still experience joy. So I want you guys to download your survival guide to life's challenges. Go to myjoyagain.com or text the keyword joy to 38470. And again, this is your survival guide to life's challenges. And I'm not talking about challenges in life such as if you're upset with somebody on the freeway if they cut you off or you're mad at somebody on social media. I'm talking about real life challenges. Um, Some of the challenges that we address on the show in this book um, in our coaching program is really, uh, for example, if you're going through a divorce or maybe a death of a loved one or maybe a death of even your own child or baby, Um, such as what I went through in losing my spouse. Um, It could be relationship issues, infidelity. It could be childhood sexual abuse or abuse that you're currently going through. And just to name a few, again, those are real life examples that we mention. And this book is really your survival guide to those life's challenges. And if you are in a profession where you need CEUs for trauma-informed care or self-care, make sure you send me an email at Ford at joysofyaw.com, and I'll send you some information on that. So we have a very special guest today, Dr. Jenny Grant Rankin, and I wanted to ask you guys this. Have you guys ever made a decision based on data? How do you know if you're making the right decision based on the right data? Data is crucial to the decision-making process, but we know that it doesn't always lead to success or what we had hoped for when making that decision. So Dr. Jenny Grant Rankin will educate and empower us on how to accurately communicate data. See, she actually teaches the postdoc masterclass at the University of Cambridge, and she is an award-winning educator with experience as a teacher, assistant principal, school district administrator, and chief education and research officer for an educational technology company. She has written numerous books on improving education 
educational technology, particularly in ways in which data are displayed so educators can more easily make well-informed decisions to help students. And Dr. Rankin speaks internationally on this topic, including her TED Talk, and she has been honored by the White House for her work. So let's welcome Dr. Rankin on the show with us this week. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, great to have you. You know, before we get into your work specifically, we just missed each other literally this week, and we were both at the Wonder Woman Tech Conference in Long Beach, um, California. The conference was focused on STEAM. And I should also mention to our listeners out there, if you guys missed the live broadcast, all you guys have to do is go to voiceamerica.com and then look for the live events tab. And then on the right-hand side, you'll see the dates of August 16th and 17th, where we have the archived replays of the phenomenal guest speakers as well as panelists. So we just missed Dr. Rankin when she was on stage. So now we have her for a full episode on our show this week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's great to be here. So what did you think about the conference? Oh, I thought it was fantastic. I I was so excited to see a conference focused on such an important topic in technology, and that's inclusion of women and all diverse communities. Um, and and it was a really great place to to talk with people, you know, to meet people, see what they're doing, um, to to help increase diversity in the workplace and in, increase opportunities and, and the voice of different groups in the workplace and in the tech field. And um, the sessions were fascinating. I loved it. Yeah, same here. I mean, that's what, you know, the same common denominator that I've been hearing um, across the board. It's really having that opportunity and platform for everybody to innovate, um, have a healthy conversation on some of the issues and challenges with women in technology and really breaking through those barriers of coming up with solutions and educating and empowering women as well as younger girls. I saw a lot of kids and teens were actually there too in the workshops. Yeah. Yeah. And even behind the scenes, I know at registration, there was a girl who looked to be maybe 11 that helped check me in. I thought, how fantastic, you know, to involve these kids so early. I thought that was great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It is. Um, And like I said, before we get into your work, um, our show really has an audience here that really focuses on getting some insight on practical tools and tips on how to be resilient and overcome adversity. Is there anything that you'd like to share on your personal side of maybe something you have gone through and how you've been able to overcome adversity? Oh, sure. Well, um, it's funny, both my, you know, I have a long career in education and both my husband and myself, um, the whole reason we first became junior high school teachers was because um, we remembered how hard that age could be. And we, we both survived some, some traumatic experiences in our youth. And um, it, it was, it was important for us to be in a role where we could look out for signs of, of kids who might be experiencing some trouble at home or um, might be facing some depression, that sort of thing. And, and we really, um, we really were drawn to this career because of our backgrounds. Um, so I, we both, well, we've both been able to be successful in the education field. I, I think too, uh, one of the reasons I wrote, well, well, my, most of my books have been on data and education. My next book that's, 
that's coming out in October is called First Aid for Teacher Burnout and relates, instead of data, it relates to the burnout epidemic in the field mm-hmm. of education. Uh, and there's so there's so much um, that even though we thrived as educators, there was so much that we saw firsthand. Um, like I saw, for example, that even while I enjoyed being a teacher and I loved it and I would not have left the teaching position if other opportunities hadn't helped me, you know, rise up the ranks and, you know, I jumped from there to assistant principal and then, and then up from there, um, I wouldn't have left the teaching profession, but the pace I was going at was not one that is sustainable. And that's one of the reasons there is such a huge problem of burnout amongst teachers. You have these wonderful people who get into the field because they want to make that difference. You know, often they struggled as kids and and they want to make that difference for other Mm -hmm. kids. Um, but they're facing such demands and such difficult circumstances that um, they're leaving the profession in droves more than, more than is seen in any other profession. And so that's, that's something I went through too. The whole experience of being a teacher is knowing firsthand, um, you know, and this is in a very high poverty, high gang area. Um, it's knowing firsthand at these, these very dark challenges every day and, and coming through that is, it, it really takes a lot of work. Right, right. And I like how you said you were able to, you and your husband, um, both having the background in education, of just having that compassion towards the youth at that particular challenging time. I mean, if all of us could remember going through junior high between 7th and 8th grade, or even now 6th grade, 6th through 8th grade, it's a pretty tough, challenging time to adjust, um, you know, just because our bodies are changing, your physical changes as well as emotions are changing, our our society society and our friends are changing. So there's a lot going on that period of time. And you guys really wanted to be an active role model for that population. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And how were you able to help out um, maybe some of your peers who were experiencing, like you said, this burnout, you know, to be in that profession where you're constantly um, giving of yourself mentally, emotionally, yeah. you know, it's physically demanding um, to work all days and hours of the week and for such low pay. How were you able yeah. to help some of your peers? Well, well, you you really hit the nail on the head with that question because that that whole formula of giving of yourself, you know, you're, you're physically exhausted, you're working for low pay, you know, you're in it because you want to make a difference, but you're, you know, you're facing violence every day and kids on drugs and parents, parents on drugs shouting at you and, you know, all the, you know fights breaking out in, in class and whatnot. When you're facing these things, it, it, it does hit on all those burnout factors of physical mm-hmm. exhaustion, emotional exhaustion. Um, so I think one of the key ways, and, and this is something I write about in my book, is through community. And, and this has ties outside the teaching profession, too. You know, when someone's going through something difficult, um, sometimes we isolate, you know, and we don't, we, we kind of draw back into not going out with people, not connecting with people, not doing things. Um, and for teachers who work in isolation in their classrooms, because they're the, they're the only professional in that room, you know, surrounded by kids, it's very easy for teachers to also isolate and not connect. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was able to, um, my principal created a, a position um, 
through which I could teach some periods each day, and then the rest of the time I could be what was called a teacher on special assignment, where I worked on special tasks with teachers. Mm -hmm. And so I would connect with my peers and work on um, just basically things to improve their ability to reach their kids and and to improve what's going on in the classroom. But it was really uh, an important chance to connect and to be a sounding board. You know, they could talk about what their challenges are and and what it is they're trying to do, what their frustrations are. And because we were peers, you know, we were both teachers, it wasn't like I was the boss or anything coming in. Um, it made a it made a really great environment for teachers mm-hmm. to feel connected and and get get help with their jobs. So so that was that was a really important way. But I I think it does have implications outside the teaching field too, where when people are going through a hard time, it can be so important to find someone who you can talk with and vent to, and you know be a sounding board. Yeah, and it sounds like you were given that opportunity to create that safe. Um, environment or safe landscape for you to connect uh, with your peers who obviously entrusted in you with with your help and advice. Yeah, yeah. And I had a wonderful principal that made that happen. She was fantastic. And she really, she really understood how difficult the teaching profession was. And she really wanted to find ways to support, uh, to support everybody who was who was working at our school. Yeah, I, I totally see that because I, I mean, in similar models, I have um, what I've called the, almost like the train the trainer model where yeah. I help professions with um, trauma-informed care or even self-care. Um, so yeah. a lot of um, trauma environments such as group homes or dealing with organizations that deal with um, sexual abuse or trafficking. It's so that that demographic doesn't get traumatized basically with their trauma around them and helping um, survivors because it does take a toll. Like, you know, the teachers are in that environment. It's the same for um, for those professions. Yeah, it's I, it's it's funny how many connections there are between what goes on at school sites and what goes on outside of that. Like even just reading about what your book's about and what your work is about, I see so many connections. And I think there's there's a lot that teachers can learn from that too, because you've got, um, for example. Um, obesity and lack of exercise and those sort of things are more common amongst teachers than those outside the field. It's a big problem in education because they're not necessarily caring for themselves. They're spending all their time caring for another, for much others, like a caregiver right. would. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like nurses or mothers always caring for others before they put um, themselves. And it's really about like this show emphasizes on taking a holistic approach. How do you break through some of those challenges and those barriers by recognizing the whole, you know, mind, body and soul and really bringing that into alignment? Yeah. And one, one of my whole chapters, it's, it's right after the intro chapter is about mindset um, that delves into some of that, and and also there's there's quite a bit in the book about you know finding those ways to find um, to to work healthy habits into the workday. For example, at lunchtime, instead of just all sitting in the faculty lounge, why not walk around the the high school track or you know mm-hmm. do do something something like that to kind of you know there's there's so much that exercise can do for the mind and to combat burnout. Right. 
Right, exactly. And those are good um, pointers. So let's go ahead and take our first commercial break. And when we come back, um, we'll get into the topic of um, Dr. Rankin's talk that she did on TED Talk on data. So more after these messages with Dr. Rankin. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Do you have adversity or challenges in your life weighing you down? Are you sick and tired of feeling depressed, down, and just plain unhappy? Get yourself out of this rut. Take action. Break through the barriers in your life and gain the confidence that you deserve by downloading the free ebook, You Are Not Alone, at MyJoyAgain.com. This book will help you to create your own blueprint to rise above life's challenges and discover the power inside you. Start smiling again, enjoy life, and feel empowered that you can face anything that is in front of you. Visit MyJoyAgain.com for the free ebook or text to 38470. The keyword, joy. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories resulting in transformed lives. You'll learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and a replay Fridays at 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Women's Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com tuned into you are not alone to reach april joy ford or her guest on today's program you may call into 1-888-346-9141 again that's 1-888-346-9141 if you'd rather send april an email her email address is april j ford at joys now back to you are not alone how to rise above life's challenges Guest this week is Dr. Rankin. She actually teaches the postdoc masterclass at the University of Cambridge, and she has been featured on TED Talk, and her work has actually been honored by the White House. So let's give her a big round of applause online over the airwaves for that. And I wanted to segue into this part of our segment. The first part of our segment, she talked about her upcoming book, The First Aid for Teachers Burnout, so you can find peace and success. And And for this um, episode, I really wanted to segue into her TED Talk on why data should be over the counter. And she briefly talked about this during the Wonder Woman Tech Conference on how ed tech influences the next generation. So, Dr. Rankin, for those that haven't had the opportunity to listen to your TED Talk, what type of data um, do you study and what are you talking about in your TED Talk? Are you talking about medical data? Are you talking about, you know, social media data? Get into a little bit of the background of what you were um, researching on. Sure. 
Sure. Um, the bulk of my research has taken place within the field of education, but there are implications outside the field of education, and I actually draw from research outside the field of education as well. Um, so basically what, I'm, what I started out studying um, as an educator was how to best display data for educators so that they can very easily and accurately understand the information. For example, if they're looking at assessment results for a student or they're looking at behavior data on how kids are behaving at school, uh, whatever it is they're looking at, student data, staff data, to make decisions that can improve things for for the school, for the students. So that's what I started studying, um, but I found that there was so much research outside the field of education on, say, data visualization and how to best display data based on uh, something like eye-tracking research can show us where people look first and how much time they spend looking at things. And there's, there's just so, there have been so many studies out there that can better you know, help us help us make better data reports for teachers. So that's what I looked into. And what I landed on, I, I ended up, um, I conducted my own quantitative study of 211 educators, but I also summarized over 300 different studies and other expert sources on this topic from a range of fields on how to best display data. And that study, that, the 300 study study ended up being too big for a journal and it was published as a book. <laughs> that's, that's a separate book altogether. It was, it was a big one. Um, there was a lot, a lot to summarize there. Uh, but what I did is I took all that information and I summarized it in just an eight-page document that is a set of data reporting standards. So if somebody's going to report data to somebody, he or she can follow these standards to report it in a way that's most likely to be understood because so much of data is misunderstood. Yeah, and I'd like for you to share the story of the example in your TED Talk on why this is really important. I mean, we can tie it into practical examples um, that our listeners might be going through on how this applies to them. But just even um, on a larger scale, I think you talked about the Challenger example, right? Yes. Yeah, the Challenger Space Shuttle, it's, it's a great example of in the 80s, right before the Challenger Space Shuttle um, took off, it was the night before, the engineers had concerns that the O-rings weren't functioning properly. And the O-ring is a seal in the booster rocket that prevents hot pressurized gases from escaping and coming into contact with other parts of the shuttle that they shouldn't. And so the engineers sat down the shuttle managers or supervisors the night before, and they showed them data on the test launches. And when they looked at the data on the test launches, they were, the engineers were unable to convince the managers that they shouldn't launch the next day. Um, you know, that just nothing really stood out. Um, the data didn't seem to be saying anything in particular. So the, supervisors ruled that they would launch the next day and the shuttle took off and it exploded within seconds and it killed all seven crew members, uh, one of them being a, a very famous teacher. And what, what since experts have gone back and looked at this whole situation and there was, of course, a federal investigation into what went wrong and findings are pretty conclusive that 
the way the data was displayed, which was a very poor way to display the data, didn't allow key findings to stand out in a clear way. Mm-hmm. But if those key findings had stood out in a clear way, they wouldn't have launched. For example, they were looking at how many times there were failed launches in, in relation to O-ring failure, but missing from the chart was the data on the successful launches. And if they had simply put those points on the graph, it would be very, very clear that the shuttle can only launch successfully on a, on a day that's 66 degrees or above. And when the shuttle launched, it was 31 degrees. It was so cold. Oh, it's too cold. It was too, mm-hmm. it was too cold to even fit on the graph they were using. Um, but if they had seen this data clearly the night before, the theory goes, they would, they would have known not to launch the next day because they would have known that the O-rings would right. have failed. Right. Now, the reason why I bring this particular example when I listened to your TED Talk on that um, Challenger um, findings, it, because yeah. it, it kind of reminded me of a personal experience um, that I went through six years ago that ended um, tragically when I lost my husband, because before he passed away in 2010, he was actually showing symptoms one and two years prior to him passing, and they did all the exact same tests, like blood work, treadmill, the golden test, if you guys are familiar with the medical term of the golden test. And it was just nothing. They couldn't find anything. They reran all the tests except for one because I was so persistent in them rerunning one of the tests, and then they found something. But then, you know, even doing that, it was still too late. So oh. I can see how, like when you were sharing that story, I'm like, oh, maybe it was the way the data was presented or displayed or even interpreted yeah. that wasn't there. Yeah, and and I'm so sorry for your loss, by the way. That's that's so tragic. I'm I'm so sorry. Um, that that whole area of medical data, it's it's such a big one. You know, just like education. The data is being used to make these very high stakes decisions, decisions right. because they impact lives. And it's the same thing in the medical field. You know, if a doctor misses some data or doesn't look at, you know, or it does, is not shown in a clear way, he or she can completely miss key symptoms, can draw right. a false conclusion. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, it's definitely life affecting and, and there needs to be more attention paid to, well, how are these data tools that they're using? displaying the data and do they have adequate data tools Mm -hmm, exactly now for our audience you know maybe they can't relate to such extreme tragic situations that I I mentioned or the challenger um, example but share maybe some examples that are a little bit more practical and why this is really important for them to pay attention to could it be their kids in school or how it communicates or translates to uh, the workplace? Um, how can this really relate to them? Sure. To, to pretty much any listener. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. What's funny is the same push that we've seen in education to begin using data is being seen in other fields. And, it, and it's because Regardless of whatever field you're in or area you work or, or interest area, there's so much potential in data. It's, it's like getting another lens on something. Um, and it's also because we use these computerized tools to, you know, 
ideally, you know, if they're good tools to break down the data for us and show us only what we're most interested in and, and only what's most necessary. Um, if we're using these tools, then because technology can work so much faster than the human brain, you know, and can look at so many areas simultaneously, you know, and come up with a very quick answer or quick visual, um, we suddenly have this kind of robotic potential, you know, this sort mm-hmm. of this superpower to look at things in a way that the human mind just can't do on its own. You know, we're, we're busy. We only have so much cognitive capacity. Um, and, and so, so we're seeing it in all areas. I mean, even just, you know, if you use Netflix, for example, you know, it'll, it'll show you what, you know, you can see different people's ratings and what it'll show you based on an, um, a, somewhat complicated algorithm, Netflix can tell you what movies you might like based on what you've watched and how oh, you've right. rated mm-hmm. it and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, which is which is so convenient. And and I know when I shop on Amazon to buy things, it's it's so great to be able to see the reviews. You know, just that quick data of over two thousand people have rated something and I can see it broken down, you know, most liked it, but there's the occasional one, you know, because sometimes something went wrong in, in the product or, or mm-hmm. whatnot. So, so we're starting to use data in, in all these little ways that just make our lives so much easier. Um, and, and if somebody is in some career or pursuing some interest, some maybe volunteer project or charitable project, um, kind of whatever someone's passion is, there's usually a way he or she can apply data to that to to have a better understanding of something or to communicate something in a more persuasive way. Right. Okay. So uh, I'd like to dive a little bit more deeper on what can we really do with this data just after these messages, and we'll be back with Dr. Rankin. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Joy's Gift is a 501c3 nonprofit that empowers women and youth to transition from tragedy to triumph, from loss or sexual abuse. Our program emphasizes a foundation of developing true self-mastery of independence. Our services provide a support system and infrastructure of wraparound resources for services focused on mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. Restore someone's hope, love, peace, and help them develop self-mastery of independence by sharing your gifts with Joy's Gift at www.joysgift.org. That's joysgift.org. We're all living in the moment, but you never know when life is going to take a unique turn. It doesn't have to be a challenge, but perhaps more of a detour to get where we need to be. On The Sky's the Limit, host Karen Levitt knows that experience, having faced it herself. Learn about her journey from a life-changing event to where she is now. Her guests are amazing people who are living these experiences and overcoming obstacles. Learn from their stories every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Life is a journey which never gets easier. As we go through life, we just handle things better as we get to know ourselves. 
Listen for The Mental Sherpa by Theta Spring. Host Alexandra Janelli believes that each of us are pre-programmed with all the answers and tools we need to move through any situation life throws at us. It's discovering those tools and answers that will set us on the right path to enjoying and navigating life. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into You Are Not Alone. To reach April Joy Ford or her guest on today's program, you may call into 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send April an email, her email address is Ford at joysofyah.com. Now, back to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. We are back, and once again, if you are in a professional field where you need your CEUs focused on trauma-informed care or self-care, send me an email and I'll send you more information. It's Ford at joysofyah.com and the website for downloading the free survival guide to life's challenges you are not alone it is myjoyagain.com or text the keyword joy to 38470 so turning the mic back to our guest um, Dr. Rankin this week and you know Dr. Rankin during the break um, I remembered a previous guest that we had here in the you are not alone show when you were talking about Um, some practical examples on how we can really use um, some of the data that that we interpret and, you know, whether it's just making everyday life decisions on what movie to order, like you said, on Amazon or Netflix and whatnot, or maybe some critical decisions um, in our field of study, such as um, the medical example that I gave. But I, I remember one of our guests, she was the founder or is the founder, I should say, of the Crisis Text Line um, Nancy Lubin, and they really have this enormous um, data set when people text in their crisis, such as um, suicide or depression or whatnot, they're able to compile all this data and really see where the trends are, such as location or dates and times for certain um, situations and crisis. Did you find that similar in, in your um, research and education? Oh, that's fantastic. Yep, that's exactly what the data systems in the education field are are trying to do. The same kind of thing, find um, problem areas, find um, anything that stands out as a red flag, you know, where a kid needs help in a certain area that maybe the teacher or the administrators might be missing. Mm-hmm. And we have actually... Um, we own, a, my husband and I, um, and he runs it, and I used to be chief education research officer there um, until I stepped away to, to basically write these books and teach the Cambridge class. But we, ha- we own a data, system com- data systems company. It's called Illuminate Education, and it's an example of one of those data system companies. And there are a variety of reports in the data systems that, are designed to basically help educators know about these red flags. For example, um, you know, lots of times people think of teachers looking at strictly assessment data and grades, but we're, of course, concerned with not just the kids' academic achievement, achievement, but 
the whole child, you know, what mm-hmm. else is going on mm-hmm. with kids? And, and we had at, a, at one of our school districts, there was a student suicide, and we responded by crafting a report based on different studies out there about um, red flags that stand out as a risk factor, you know, if, if a kid might be contemplating suicide. And we created a, um, or rather the report builders, you know, at the, at the company created a report that just makes those things jump out so that an administrator or a teacher can suddenly see, oh, you know, what's going on with this kid? Mm -hmm. Suddenly, efforts dropping, attendance is lagging, there's some defiance or behavior issues, you know, just, you know, and and of course, it's different things for different kids, um, but it'll flag those kids. And it could be that there's no problem at all, but it's at least, it at least, you know, triggers that that awareness of, oh, there's a kid I need to check in with just to be sure, you know, nothing's going on and to, and to offer some support if something is. Yeah. And I think it's just having access to the right data because you're talking about changing the trajectory of a kid's life. You know, it could yeah. be, like you said, if they're in middle school going through all that all that changes or whatever great elementary or even high school, but it's knowing what's really going on. It's not just the, the grades are they getting A's and B's, but behaviorally yeah. or socially, um, you know, maybe a kid gets misdiagnosed or mistreated as having ADD yeah. or whatever the issue is. So it's really having access yeah. to, I mean, you're changing the, the course and the path and the direction of this kid's life. Yeah. And and on that note of having the right data, there's a shift um, in education, fortunately, of, you know, for so long when these data systems first came along or when educators first started tracking data, it was all about just performance. Um, and now more and more schools are realizing that they, they should be eliciting student feedback and asking, you know, does the kid feel safe on campus? How often is the kid bullied? You know, does the kid feel safe at home? You know, these kinds of questions that can help them get, of course, it's anonymous, you know, but mm-hmm, kind of get right. the pulse on, you know, how are conditions in our in our community, you know, for these kids? What kinds of issues are they grappling with? Do they, you know, if they don't feel safe walking home from school, well, what can we do to, you know, work with the local police department or, you know, to kind of up you know, surveillance or presence after school, you know, when kids are walking, you know, there are all these ways that that schools can respond if they do get the right data, you know, data that can that can tell them these sorts of things. So they need to be eliciting feedback from students and parents and staff. And, you know, there's just so much potential when, when you get that right data. Mm-hmm. So what does this really mean for... Um, just the general audience out there who are not, you know, data researchers like yourself. I mean, does everybody need to know how to read a spreadsheet or a plot, a plot chart and infographics? Yeah. I mean, they might feel a little intimidated on, on going through that. But w- what would you recommend for them on understanding where to go for the data? Oh, sure. Well, I think a really important thing for anyone to realize is um, the frequency of error when people are using data because someone like their doctors or, you know, the teachers of their kids um, could very easily be misunderstanding data that's being used to make a decision that, if, that affects those people or their families. Um, and one of, one of these reasons that there's there's such a frequency of error is that um, most, you know, fairly intelligent or, or 
somewhat educated, you know, people who have who have at least graduated high school, um, for anyone who has done that, they've usually been, you know, in westernized countries, but they've been exposed to graphs and they think I can read a bar graph or I can read, you know, if it's pretty straightforward, I can read it. Mm -hmm. But so often data is a lot more complex than these displays indicate. Um, And so errors occur. And and as just one example, uh, when I conducted my quantitative study of 211 educators. These were educators of varied roles. So it was everything from a teacher to a superintendent or a data coach. And when they viewed data and answered very simple questions, like according to this graph, what is most likely the school's strength? What's most likely its weakness? You know, just based on a a single chart, um, then the accuracy was 11% correct was the average. Yeah, eleven percent, and and in the in the nation's best, and these were were average districts, you know, just randomly selected average average performing uh, districts or average data backgrounds. Um, but then, even if you look at the nation's top data users, for example, two studies by the U.S. Department of Ed where they looked at school districts in the U.S. known as having everything in place for proper data use, like they had data coaches and the staff had been trained on data use and, you know, all these things are in place. Um, the accuracy at those top districts was 48% correct, which is still less than half, which is terrifying mm-hmm. because these very ed- well-educated people, because teachers are, are very well-educated, um, are misunderstanding this and then making decisions that impact kids' lives. And it goes back to the fact that data is so much more complex than it can seem. For example, for an assessment, like in, in just one of the questions I asked in my study, they were looking at results from an assessment, and it was, um, I believe it was a language arts test, and the test had different domains or content clusters. They're sort of question types so that it could break down, here's how kids did in word analysis. Here's how the kids did in vocabulary. You know, here's how the kid did, mm-hmm. kid did in literary analysis. You know, these different areas. And if you had a very high percent correct, it looked like a strength, and if the kid's you know, scored low and got a low percent correct, it looked like a weakness. But the content clusters for the assessment vary in difficulty, much like if you were in high school and you got a B in honors physics and a B in PE, your parents might look at those Bs as different, right? Because the classes were probably different in difficulty. Uh, Well, it's the same thing with assessments. And so it was actually you had to to determine how someone did. You had to compare their performance to the states because that established the bar for how difficult each content cluster was. So it's something Mm. that... It looks so simple on a bar chart, you know, but it's so much more complex. Right. And again, to go back to the medical industry, you have so many variables, you know, affecting, you know, what, what symptom is a red flag and what isn't and what combinations might mean something that one symptom on its own doesn't mean, you know. And um, you have, again, these, these complex things that we try to simplify with data, but we have to remember that it is so complex. And so if we're ever in a situation where someone is using data in dealing with us, maybe in making an argument or, you know, calling for something to be done or saying, well, there's this problem with this, you know, we just have to remember that even if they're very well-educated, very intelligent people, they're 
there's a good chance they're they're misunderstanding what they're looking at. And so just right. to delve more deeply and and ask those crucial questions like, well, are you sure that's a strength? I know it looks like it, but you know, let's let's look more into into the research behind that, or let's you know, you just to just to ask those questions so that whoever's involved just takes it a step further to be sure that he or she's correct in in reading that graph or diagram or whatever it is. Okay. So would you recommend that that would be the starting point on addressing? I mean, you're proposing this connect, you know, this disconnect and displaying of data because it leads to decisions that are being made based on inaccurate interpretations of the data being displayed. I mean, how would you close that gap? Is it just starting with that? Like you said, start with a conversation of asking those crucial questions. Um, it, I think it, it goes into three areas. One, something that your average person can do is ask those crucial questions and, and push on that. The biggest responsibility lies with the people who are creating these data displays. Mm-hmm. And so often these people might have, say, a mathematics background, but they don't necessarily have experience in the field for which they're displaying the data. And, and that's where, that's where a lot of problems occur in the education field when it comes to education data systems is often you have these report builders that maybe they're programmers, you know, or maybe they have mathematics background, but they don't know about the things they're graphing. You know, they don't, they don't know mm-hmm. about it. And so, so these companies that, that put out these reports and put out these data tools, they need to really have a very close connection with people in the field that have expertise on what's being reported on because those are the people who can say, well, actually, you know, I know it looks like you can display the numbers these way, this, this way, but that's actually misleading because this is really the part that matters or, or this data needs to be on that graph if you're also going to graph that. You know, they have that expertise. And so um, the programmers and developers and, and mathematicians need to realize even if there are very smart people and they're experts in what they do, they need to be having these close conversations with the experts in the field. Oh, and then on top sense. of that, mm-hmm. those same folks, those same developers, programmers and whatnot, they need to be following research-based best practices. And that's like my books on on displaying data in accurate ways. I call it over-the-counter data or making data mm-hmm. over-the-counter. You know, much like medicine, it's when it's over-the-counter, it has the correct labeling. It has all sorts of supports in place to be sure someone uses it correctly. And we need to do the same thing with our high-stakes data. So the biggest responsibility is really on those people, following those standards, following what research says about best display practices. And then another area is the people who are buying these data systems or are the clients or the customer. They need to regularly be pushing back on these data builder folks and say, how do I know you're following best practices? Are you following these standards for best reporting practices or are you not? You know, are you just using the tool and, you know, because knowledge of the technology or the programming language does not equate to knowledge of best design practices based on what what extensive research has shown us. Oh, got it. And those those are good um, pointers to really um, close the gap and disconnect and displaying that leads to decisions. So we're going to take our last break. And when we come back, we're going to tie um, into 
her latest book, Dr. Rankin's latest book on um, teachers' burnout and how they can overcome obstacles for that. So more with Dr. Rankin when we come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Do you have adversity or challenges in your life weighing you down? Are you sick and tired of feeling depressed, down, and just plain unhappy? Get yourself out of this rut. Take action. Break through the barriers in your life and gain the confidence that you deserve by downloading the free ebook, You Are Not Alone, at MyJoyAgain.com. This book will help you to create your own blueprint to rise above life's challenges and discover the power inside you. Start smiling again, enjoy life, and feel empowered that you can face anything that is in front of you. Visit MyJoyAgain.com for the free ebook or text to 38470. The keyword, joy. Do you have complete control over your thoughts and your life? It seems like we do, but there are always outside forces that are wreaking havoc with that control. How do we get our thoughts back on track, so to speak? Listen for help. My thoughts are holding me hostage with Dr. Jeffrey Fannin. When you command the power of thought, you can achieve or have whatever you want. Make the laws of the universe work for you. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Most of us have experienced the loss of a loved one, be it a friend or family member. There are all kinds of questions and emotional pain that we go through, but you can move on. Listen for From Morning to Morning with Rabbi Mel Glazer. It doesn't matter what faith you are, or if you even have no faith, you are sure to find meaning in Rabbi Mel's words and personal experience, as well as that of his guests. From Morning to Morning airs live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned into You Are Not Alone. To reach April Joy Ford or her guest on today's program, you may call into 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send April an email, her email address is Ford at joysofyah.com. Now, back to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. Welcome back. Our guest this week is Dr. Jenny Grant Rankin, and we've covered a lot of landscape in our conversation um, in this episode from her TED Talk on why data should be over the counter to her latest book, First Aid for Teachers Burnout, so you can find peace and success. And she touched on a little bit of topic on how ed tech influences the next generation, which is her topic on the latest Wonder Woman tech conference that we were both at in Long Beach, California. So in our last few minutes here, I think we've got about four minutes, Dr. Rankin. Um, Were there any particular topics in your latest book that you really wanted to bring into um, the conversation with the audience? Sure, yes. Um, It's it's a big passion of mine 
this combating teacher burnout because the work that I've done in data systems and, you know, using data, using educational technology, um, these are things that are so important for the field, but they're kind of pain points for teachers who already have so much on their plates. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons I wrote this next book. Um, but I, I, my heart just really goes out to teachers, not only because I was a teacher, but just because the stats show us that burnout affects teachers more than any other any other profession in the world. And it's, it's definitely an international um, problem. And there's, there's a lot that teachers can do, you know, ways they can use tools and tricks to, to be more efficient or um, to help get things off their plate or help be more effective in, in combating burnout triggers. But there's so much that the community can do. And I, I know a lot of people volunteer at schools when their kids are in elementary school and then they just kind of stop, you know, or mm-hmm. at middle school. You know, <laughs> Yeah, or you have these amazing retirees who have a wealth of knowledge and expertise in, in whatever field they they worked in, or with kids, with raising kids, and it, and there's so much they can do to volunteer. You know, there's so much that communities can do to better support teachers because they have such a difficult job and demands get added to their plate regularly. You know, every every year there's a there's a whole swath of new studies saying, well, teachers should also do this and they should also do this because all those extra things are effective, but you come up with this sort of impossible scenario and you've got teachers working under these really stressful conditions, you know, with uh, kids who, who don't have involved parents at home or, you know, their neighbors are infested with gangs. Yeah. So, so many things. And there's so much that any community member can do to help out at a school and to just say, Hey, what do you guys need? And, and to do something to, to help these professionals who give so much and have such an impact on the future of our society. Great. And tell our audience where they can find the book to find out more on implementing some of these strategies. Sure. They could either go to my research website, which is www.overthecounterdata.com. And there are a bunch of free resources and tools on there. And there are links to my different, you know, journal papers and articles and and books. Um, But they can also go on to just amazon.com and Google Jenny, that's J-E-N-N-Y, Grant Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N, and all my books will pop up there, um, anything they might be interested in. Um, and, and also on my website, they're free to contact me there, too, if they have any questions or anything with which I could help. Alrighty, everybody, I'm April Joy Ford here on Voice America with You Are Not Alone. I share my story and this show so others can share their stories and have their glory so others don't have to experience the extremities of what I face but would be able to take the fruit of my adversities and prosper with it. I give my permission to allow people to borrow my belief and faith and I give my love and light so others can illuminate theirs. I share my joys and blessings so others can share theirs and let others Others know you are not alone. There's gold to be discovered in our challenges. Know that you're not alone. Get inspired, uplifted, and empowered every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. We appreciate your joining us this week for You Are Not Alone. 
Please tune in for another edition with host April Joy Ford next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.